Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Paddle Pod, your weekly podcast covering professional paddle presented by Hugo and Gons. Hugo, how are you doing? I'm very well, Gons, as always. How are you? Very, very well. It's always great to have you here to talk about paddle. Same. I, I, to be honest, I've missed it. It's been a couple more days than we usually take to, well, to film this, to get the podcast up and going. And I'm very excited to be back and very excited to have a chat. Well, firstly, have a chat about what happened last week in Vienna. Correct. So I think we should uh, go straight into it. I think the main highlight for me of the tournament, other than Coelho and Tapia winning again, which I don't know if I, that can be considered a highlight anymore. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, I'd have to say it's definitely Koki Nieto and John Santh reaching the semifinals. I think uh, it was an unbelievable tournament by both of them. Just obviously a bit of a shame that John Santh is now paired up with Ale Galan, so we won't be able to see them in action again. But given how good they played and and the, the you know the good feeling that I'm sure both of them left with, uh, I have no doubt that we will see them in the future at some point. I think that was probably my highlight. They even took a set off in the semifinals against Coelho and Tapia, which we know how hard that is uh, to do. But yeah, just to get your high-level thoughts, what, what would be your highlight of the tournament? I completely agree with you, Gons. I think the biggest highlight, other than Coelho and Tapia making it eight in eight tournaments so far this season, they've won eight out of eight World Paddle Tour tournaments, which is just unbelievable. But it's kind of getting a bit boring in a way. <laughs> uh, but I do completely agree. I think the biggest highlight was Koki Nieto and John Sant's performance. They knocked out Momo and Sanyo, and they also knocked out Yanguas and Bella. And both matches were simply outstanding. Particularly, to be fair, we'd been commenting a bit about Koki Nieto. He obviously has been playing some outstanding paddle over the last few years. He was actually part of the squad or for Spain's World Cup team, not last time they played and lost the final against Argentina, but the previous year. And so he's clearly a proven top eight Spanish player. But John Sanz was particularly impressive. I think he's, over recent weeks, he's managed to kind of channel his energy and his, well, hyperactivity in a way, and without wanting to offend him, and it's translated into some sensational paddle. He, to be honest, I think he's quite a similar player to Coquineto. They're both very fast, quite short, very good at, well, going backwards and forwards very quickly. Their movement around the court is excellent. And I think they play, they suit this kind of model, modern pattern, paddle that we've been talking about. Very fast, very attacking. John Santa has an unbelievable smash as well, particularly given his height, as he's not particularly tall. And yeah, I was just incredibly impressed with, with Nia Don Sant's performance. And as you said, they actually managed to knock a set off Tapia and Goeyo in the semi-finals, which, to be honest, not many pairs can say that, let alone many pair. there's only one pair that's actually beaten them this season, which was obviously Dineno and Stupayan, the only Premier Paddle tournament that's been played this season. So yeah, I have to agree. That was the biggest highlight. I also very much enjoyed the change of colour, the courts. 
I'm sure many of you are aware, but the courts changed and they were black rather than blue. And I really enjoyed it. And I thought it was an interesting proposal by the tournament organizers in Vienna. And I'd like to see it more. I think looking back years ago, there were many different color courts in during the World Paddle Tour season. I've, I've seen not only green, which is a very standard one, and blue, but also I've even seen pink. I've even seen some kind of reddish color. And I, I really, really enjoyed the change of color. And I hope they kind of take this forward and, and implement a few more. <laughs> I thought it was quite fun. But yeah, I'd say those were my high-level thoughts, Gons. Yeah, I was going to touch on the court color, which I also thought was very interesting. It also seemed to make the court faster, which uh, some of the players were were saying. But uh, yeah, just to go into it a, a bit, and I think this is a topic that we will discuss in, in, in future episodes, I'm sure. But uh, the, 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 the reason why it was black, it's because uh, Hugo Boss was sort of the main sponsor of, of the tournament. So that just shows you as well the power that sort of paddle is generating, how popular it's getting, that you have a brand such as Hugo Boss wanting to get into it and, and sponsoring a main event. So I'm sure that's like something that, you know, other brands are definitely getting into the sport and paddle is becoming sort of like a, one of their main focuses and a core focus, you know, for, for their products. So I think we will definitely touch upon this because there's a lot to discuss uh, in future episodes. But it's, yeah, it's great to see very, very, I, I like, as you mentioned as well, I also like seeing different varieties. And then it's also interesting to see how it affect, actually affects performance as we've sort of uh, seen in, in Vienna, the, the court was definitely quite fast and you would hear players doing matches, like commentate this and stuff. And some even... I think Sanjay in particular had trouble even seeing the ball in occasion. So uh, definitely very, very interesting. But I think moving now that we've talked into so what your highlights, I guess, what was uh, the biggest disappointment out of, out of Vienna? I think I'll quickly say two. First, Momo and Sanjo, just mainly because they were being, really came into the tournament very strong, I think the the main reason why I'm disappointed was more an attitude rather than like a play perspective. And I think Sanyo in the match once they were in, in one of the sort of game changes, which they were recording, they record the benches, which is great to see, by the way. Uh, anyone that sort of watches the, the matches on World Paddle Tour will see that you're able to listen once they change the games to the actual benches. Like, what are the playing, the players saying? How, you know, what are the coaches saying? And in one of them where, Mom, where Momo went to the bathroom uh, to take a break, Sanjo was sort of saying that it doesn't feel like we want to be here, just passing the ball. Um, and it gave me a bit of like a just... I don't know, bad attitude uh, in the sense of like they were just not feeling comfortable with each other. And then on the opposite bench, actually, Koki Nieto was saying to San, we need to throw every ball to Momo, who's just passing it and not doing anything aggressive with it. So I think that was one of the disappointments, certainly more of the, the style and how it looked. And then the other one would have to be Tejo Andrith, which we've sort of been discussing as of late, what's been happening with them. Um, you certainly don't see them lasting very long. <laughs> uh, but uh, so, yeah, well, I guess what, what would be your disappointments? I think both of them are very good points and definitely to an extent a 
disappointment. I, in a way, I'd slightly disagree with Sanyo and Momo in terms of their, well, their result. I think they lost to the kind of the best pair in the, in the tournament beyond Goyo and Tapia. They caused the major upsets. John Santa Coquineto, as we just discussed, I thought they were outstanding. And to be honest, I know that Momo and Sanyo had been playing really well and they were favourites against them. But I think when pairs face a new pair that they haven't been able to study and that they've never played before, it's really challenging. And they talk about it a lot when, well, in the press and in interviews, it's really hard to face a pair that you know very little about. So I completely agree. I was very much let down by Sanyo Momo's attitude on the court and particularly Sanyo. I mean, he's had these issues throughout his career, even when he was playing with Tapia last season. There were moments where when things weren't going their way, he was the one who was being negative. And not only he was putting himself down a lot, which must be quite hard to deal with when you're his pair, because you don't really know what to say. And he's obviously such an experienced player. So I'm quite surprised that his attitude fluctuates so much. So yes, I agree. I was very much let down by their attitude and to an extent their performance. And yes, I mean, we've spoken about it before. Dayon Reith, I think it was you who mentioned it to me offline. They haven't made a semi-final yet as a pair, which I think for two players of their calibre and their standard, it's, to be honest, it just shows that they're really not, not being as good and working as well as they expected. I wouldn't be surprised if they split in the near future. I know that the fast court season is incoming. Literally this week, we've got the Marbella Masters and that's outdoor and that should benefit both Dayon Reef, given that they're both very good volleyers and very good at smashing. But yeah, I've been very much let down by by their performance. So again, very I much with you. Especially considering when the pairs around them in sort of the, the similar rankings, I think they've all reached the semi-final. So it's sort of uh, yeah. Let's let's just see what happens with them. But I'm I'm every sort of tournament that goes by. I'm I think I'm very much aligning to to your thinking. And um, let's see exactly as as you mentioned how the sort of like open tournament and the summer season goes. But if definitely the results don't come their way in such a tournament, then I think. You know, it's very likely that that they will leave. I think, especially for Teo, is since pretty much since he's like left Chingoto, I haven't really seen him like actually happy and on I the agree. court and smiling. You know, so it, it almost feels like he's going through a hard period himself, even if it's just like just he just seems very not very vocal, just very like very timid. You know, not 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 with the energy that he used to have when when he was with Chingoto. So. Um, hopefully, obviously, that, that comes around because when he's, you know, in, in top form, he's such an exciting player to watch. I agree. And I was actually going to try to uh, to mention that as well. I think Deyo's attitude in particular has been quite disappointing. I think that in terms of performance, I think it's more Alex Reith that is letting the pair down a bit. I think the defensive side of his game is potentially a bit below par and a bit below what we were expecting from him. It's never really been 
his strength being at the back of the court and he's not a particularly fast player. But I think pairs really take advantage and give him a lot of, well, play a lot of the balls to him when they're in the attacking phase against Dejan Ruiz. And I think his performance has been slightly more disappointing than Dejan's, but it's Dejan's attitude that I think is really, well, not helping the pair at all, clearly, and letting them down a bit. And when you think about it, he was the one who took the, well, made the decision and decided to split from Chingoto after so many years together to play with Baquito. He took the risk. It obviously didn't go well. And this new pairing with Alex Ruiz isn't going well either. So you can see why he might be disappointed and upset. I've always thought Deo is an unbelievable player. I've always considered him among the top five backhand players on the tour. And I actually thought he was very much underrated when he was playing with Chingoto. So, yeah, I, I really hope they turn their fortunes around and, and start, well, hitting the results that they were expecting from them. I wouldn't say their results have been appalling, but they've always, they've basically always lost in the quarterfinals round. And if they really want to challenge for that fourth position, fourth kind of, we've discussed in previous podcasts that the top three pairs are pretty clear at the moment. It feels like Dejan Ruiz are a little bit far away, Chingot, a, a little bit far away from Chingoto and Baguito's level at the moment, Sanyo Momo's level at the moment. And to be honest, if Coquinieto and John Sanford stuck together, I'd actually bet on them. I would bet on them more than Dejan Ruiz. So, yep, bit of a letdown, and hopefully they turn their fortunes around. Indeed. So I think now is probably a good time to go into sort of one of our main topics that we wanted to discuss in in this episode. Um, certainly one of the biggest questions I think in, in paddle is, well, both when you start playing and when you see players, more professional players play, is why do they play on that side? Even some, you know, very, when you first start watching paddle as well, Many times you see professional players only playing in one, in one side, which if you're used to watching other racket sports, it might not be the case, namely tennis, where when they play in doubles, they're always switching sides. So I think we, we thought it was a, a very interesting topic to discuss, sort of what makes you know a, a left sided player that plays on, on the backhand side and then a right-sided player Um who's normally is called plays, plays on the drive side. So, uh, Hugo, uh, why don't we kick this off um, and give us, give us your thoughts? I agree. I think it's a very interesting topic. And obviously, we discussed previously that we wanted to have a little discussion about it in one of our pods. And to go, to jump straight into it, I think talking about physical attributes of drive players and backhand backhand players, first of all. I think the best pair that could kind of describe the traditional forehand and backhand player was Chingoto and Deyo when they used to play together. So the forehand player traditionally being relatively short or shorter than the backhand player, fast, kind of quick around the court. And then the backhand player, on the contrary, would be taller and well, it, it would make it makes sense because as we've discussed in previous pods, 
the backhand player is normally due to this being on the backhand side the player that can actually take advantage of his smash or her smash so that would be kind of the overview of the physical attributes in terms of the technical attributes i think well myself being a forehand player i try to mirror my game on players like chingotto dineno obviously lebron is a great example of well as well but he was previously on the backhand side so i think it's it's better to take dineno and chingotto as examples they're very fast around the court i think one of the keys of the forehand players is to make as few unforced errors as possible because they are the players that kind of take charge of the majority of the point they're the players that kind of dominate the point and take the point to the areas they want to take it to and then it's actually the backhand player who's supposedly meant to finish the point and win the point so the backhand player traditionally has a very good smash a very good volley and well traditionally the backhand player is the better player in a pair that's what people have traditionally said but i think that's very much evolving and in modern paddle it isn't really the case i think players on the forehand side and the backhand side are equally as good and as we discussed in one of our previous pods people including paquito when he spoke about it in his recent interview are increasingly seeing the value of forehand players at the end of the day they're 50% of a pair aren't they so um, so yeah i don't know what your thoughts are gons um, we can kind of evolve this a bit further but i'm sure there's a few things i've missed out yeah i think well you gave a very good explanation overall uh, an absolute masterclass but uh, if i mean may- maybe just one i think thing to add obviously if we're speaking from a perspective that the pairs are both right-handed dominant so obviously if you're left-handed you you would play in the right side and you'd have the essentially same amount of, of or it will be the same as if a right-handed player is playing on the left side so now in the world obviously in professional paddle you also see a lot of le- left-handed players namely for example Alex Ruiz so that's why he always plays on the right and he essentially has the same opportunities you know in the air um in terms of um smashing and, and playing aggressively and being that sort of like i guess leader offensively that you were talking about but yeah if if in, in the traditional pairs you very well explained left-sided players is more like the, the the offensive threat and then the right-sided player is more the if you compare it to football, it's almost like the left-sided player is the striker and then the right-sided player is just that that midfielder that is like trying to control the whole match and, you know, assist the the the, the striker, I guess, to then score the goals, if you put it that way. Um, it's a very good analogy. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think in that was definitely at least the, the traditional uh, paddle pair, as, as you sort of pointed out. Uh, but very much so uh, in, in recent times. And I think probably the catalyst for this was Lebron, which, uh, as you sort of said, you know, he started as a left-sided player, then moved to the right side. And Lebron really brought a, a an aggressiveness to the right side that we hadn't really seen previously before. Um, so I think that's sort of how Paddle has been trending. And then obviously, 
Ale Alan and LeBron have been incredibly successful. No one's been really able to to challenge them. And I think that is how you're seeing a lot of the new youngsters coming up. Um, so, for example, Livak, for example, Edu Alonso, who are all right, right-handed players and play on the right, but they are also like extremely aggressive and are able to, quote-unquote, score the goals as well. So I think it's it's very interesting to see how it will continue to evolve. I definitely see this trend of the right-sided player being able to to offer you know as much offensively as as the left-sided player um and uh, and yeah it will be it will be very interesting to see like how the youngsters come up and and how they develop um but uh but yeah i don't know what what are your what are your thoughts on how paddle will evolve in terms of like the sides being played i very much agree and actually that's a very good point when i that, that you just made when i was mentioning the traditional players more most players are right-handed or many more players are right-handed than left-handed so when i was talking about the traditional right-hand sided and left-hand sided player or driving backhand player it was assuming that both players are right-handed as you very well said left-handed players always play on the drive side and basically that's because it means that all balls that go down the middle which obviously is the bigger area of the court can be taken by the the left-handed player that plays on drive side with his forehand and the same for the right-handed player that plays on the backhand side. So that's a big advantage. And I was actually reading a lot about how much of an advantage it is for a left-handed, well, for a pair to have left-handed player and a right-handed player. And when you think about the best pairs ever to play paddle, at the moment, I think it's, it isn't really a question. The best pair ever is Juan Martin Diaz and Bella. And as we all know, Juan Martin Diaz was left-handed. And one of the other best pairs ever was Fernando Valesterin once again with Pablo Lima, who was also left-handed. And interestingly, in those pairs, it was actually the player on the drive side, the left-handed player, so Juan Martin Diaz and Pablo Lima, who were more kind of attacking and were more in charge of finishing the points and were better in the air and at smashing. Bella traditionally, even though he's played on the left, has been very good at, as we all know, the lob is one of his best best shots. And he's been one of those players that just makes so few unforced errors that he drives his opponents mental. And obviously now we're seeing how successful Guayo and Tapia are being with Guayo being left-handed. So I think that shows how much of an advantage it is to be left-handed in paddle and, well, to have a left-handed player in a pair in paddle. But going back to what you were saying, I think you're completely right. I think modern paddle is basically demanding right-hand players to be maybe not as attacking, but very, very attacking. And they have to be able to win points and they have to be good in the air and be good at smashing and volleying because there's so many pairs that have two players that are very good at attacking. So obviously we've seen Lebron and Galan, and Lebron was basically the first player to instigate attacking forehand players, as you um, mentioned very rightly. Now we're seeing Dineno, who's perfectioning his smash, and he's actually being very attacking, much more than he used to be. Obviously Coelho being left-handed, that's a big advantage, but he's very attacking. Same was 
with Alex Reith and Tejo, both very attacking players. So I think basically Even Paddles, exactly, even Chingoto. And Paddles evolved and it's basically demanding forehand players to, as I said, be very, very attacking. And I think that's only going to increment over the years because at the end of the day, Paddles becoming so fast and so much about smashing and so aggressive and points becoming shorter and shorter that I just think that's going to be the trend over the next few years. And I think it could be related to the point that you were just mentioning around the greatest pairs being a right a right-handed player and a, and a left-handed player because if you have your traditional paddle you know pair it might there might be some weaknesses in terms of if the right-sided player can't be aggressive because you know defensively especially right you always try to play the lob to the person that is easy that you know is not going to be able to sort of get a winning shot out of you back so if you if you're essentially playing a lob against two people who you know both of them can like very easily get it out of the court you know either through por tres or por cuatro or very good in the air and it's obviously much harder than if you play to you know the lob to the right side of player that's perhaps potentially a bit weaker in the air so i think that's probably also a trigger of you know cause, causing like all these right-handed players or these right-sided right-handed players to really improve their attacking game so you know it's also causes then a problem to to other opponents obviously when they're like trying to lob and decide who to lob because when you're playing a a right-handed player and when you're playing a left-handed player you can't like you basically have to do a perfect lob especially if they're good in the air to to get it back agreed and just to add to that courts are to be honest i think and a lot of players have been saying becoming faster and faster so at the end of the day, if both players aren't attacking and aren't good in the air, aren't good at smashing, aren't good at volleying, they're not going to have as much success in, well, in this modern era of paddle and in these courts that are essentially just getting faster and faster. Yeah. So I guess a quick summary for those that are listening and are wondering, where should I play? If you're... <laughs> Uh, if I would say if you're more, well, if you're physically, you know, if you're a tall person, um, you're physically, you, you feel like you, your attacking side of the game is the strongest. Um, and you're also very, I wouldn't say if you're less of a strategic thinker, I guess, then, you know, the left backhand side might suit you more. So you're able to really like, you know, show that those attacking qualities and that, that attacking side of the game. I'd say if you're physically very fit in terms of like being able to run around the court at all times without like getting tired whatsoever, if you're really good defensively and if you th see yourself as strategic thinker and like really being able to dictate the game you know when you need to make a faster ball you play it faster when you need to make it slower you play it slower um and if you're very good at not doing any unforced errors then perhaps the right-handed uh, side might suit you but obviously if you're left-handed play on the right <laughs> side <laughs> i think that's to be honest a very very good summary guns and maybe i'd add just two very quick points i think if you're wanting to play on the backhand side of the court your backhand has to be a very good has to be very good because at the end of the day a lot of the opponent's serves are going to go to your backhand because that's the side that goes 
on well that's the side that takes the glass and you'd be most of the time you'd be returning serves with your backhand so your backhand has to be one of your strong points and another thing is your well if you're willing to if you're wanting to play it on the forehand side your backhand volley should be one of your strong points as well because at the end of the day as we've just mentioned most of the balls go down the middle and when the backhand player isn't able to play a forehand volley then you're going to have to you're going to have to play a backhand volley so it's that sliced volley that doesn't give much when it goes into the ground and onto the glass that should be one of your strong points as well but um, moving on from from this topic and kind of looking to to this week's Marbella Masters which as we've mentioned just a few minutes ago will be played outdoors we wanted to touch on the fact that well very quickly the fact that outdoor courts are coming and a number of the next tournaments will be played outdoors and that will definitely affect the success of pairs I think at least so Gons if you were to highlight two or three pairs that you think are going to benefit from playing outdoors and two or three pairs that potentially might start reaping worse results than they have over the last few tournaments due to playing outdoors, who would they be? I definitely have to go with uh, Tapian Coelho just because of their aerial threat and because obviously they're number one pair in the world and they've just been so amazing. But I think they'll be even better with, with, uh, with, with the outdoor season. Then I'd probably say, um, I'd have to think Tejo and uh, and uh, Ruiz, but at the same time, I just feel like their dynamic is so. If we're talking strictly, you know, paddle and their play, then I'd say them. But I also feel like the mental side might not be there, so I'm not necessarily sure they're just gonna like, you know, get great results. But in theory, this should, you know, this type of court with the heat now that we're going into summer this should definitely you know the ball should be bouncing so much like really really high so this should definitely benefit them mm. um and their play at least and then the Agreed. next yeah the next one i'm gonna say and by the way i'm not taking into account uh galan or or, Le- or Le- lebron as a pair given that you know the, the injury situation so i'd mm-hmm. have to say um probably um, well, actually, I'm trying to think. Would you maybe say, and I was thinking, Garrido and Campagnolo? Yeah, that's definitely one that's coming to my mind. I think, to be honest, another one, and it might sound a bit surprising, but Momo and Sanyu as well. Not necessarily because of the 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 aerial threat perspective, but namely because... Also, when you're playing outdoor, it tells, tends to be quite a leveler just because the ball is mm. so affected by the outside conditions that if you're playing against a better pair, you're normally, it's normally better for the worst pair just mm. because of, you know, the wind and all of that. So, like, you throw a lob and the lob is not going to be, like, perfect. So, for, for someone that's, like, playing, that's playing against you and, like, trying to smash, then it might be harder for them given that the love is not going to fall exactly the same. Whereas if you play in an indoor court, you know that the ball, once it's in the air, is falling down like straight. 
So I think if they take it to their advantage, it can definitely be good for them, given how consistent they are and stuff like that. And then Sanjay's shown that he can, you know, easily play in the air as well. What are your right. what are your three top? To be honest, I think Koyantapia can't really do much better than they are at the moment, but their game will probably be even better. I agree. I think Campagnolo and Garrido both have a sensational smash. They'll take advantage of outdoor courts, no doubt. And in terms of the pairs that might be, they might reap slightly worse results and outdoor courts may be a disadvantage for them. I think Paquito and Chingoto probably. As we know, Chingoto's attacking play isn't as good as his defensive play for sure and compared to other forehand players. And to be honest, I don't think Paquito's attacking game is at its peak at the moment. So they might struggle a bit. And you know what? I'm going to slightly disagree with you. I do think Momon Sanyo could be very good on outdoor courts because they're so good technically and Sanyo has so much experience and actually a surprising good smash. But I think there's just so many pairs that, that well, we've been talking about it a few minutes ago. So many players now that are very good at attacking and smashing and it's not, not their strong point. So I think they might struggle a bit over the next few tournaments. And we'll see about Deo and Ruiz because if they don't take advantage and if they don't start playing better and getting better results, I think it's going to end with them splitting. But I think it could be time for the pad the paddlepot race. Yeah, correct. This leads us on nicely talking about outdoor courts. Now let's talk about Marbella. Uh, but quickly recap on last week's uh, tournament. I think, Hugo, you were going into the tournament with 16 points and you're leaving Vienna with 21. I was entering with 10 points and I'm leaving Vienna with 17. So I managed to cut two points off. Um, so, you know, there's well potentially, there is potentially a race in our hands, uh, but let's get straight For into sure. it um, now that we've got the, the master. Um, so I can start this time, given that I've sort of uh, delegated to you and made you start <laughs> all the other times. Go for it. Um, I like it. So I'm going to go with first semifinal, obviously Coyo Tapia against the new, leap, the new pair, Galan and Sanf. And then I'm going to go with, uh, and that's going to be Coyo Tapia in two sets. And then I'm going to go with Momo and Sanjo. Uh, against Stupadineno and Stupadineno in two sets. Interesting. Okay. And in the final? And in the final, I'm going to go with Coelho Coelho and Tapia against Stupadineno, and I'm going to go, obviously, with Coelho and Tapia in two sets. Okay. So relatively comfortable matches for the winning pairs. Okay, interesting. Well, I'm going to go slightly different, not very different, but I think the first semi-final will be Koyan Tapia, no surprises, against Santh and Galan. I think Santh and Galan are going to be very good and very tough to beat. And I, I think the that. second semi-final will be, funnily enough, I was really struggling to make a decision and I'm going to take a leap of faith and I'm going to bet on Dejan Ruiz to finally make the semi-finals as a pair and for them to play Stupandineno. And so the results for the semi-finals would be two sets to one to Guayan Tapia against Santangalan. I think it would be a fantastic game if it happens. 
And I think they might surprise Coelho and Tapia a little bit. And I think the second semi-final will be very tight, but I think Stupa and Dineno will edge it two sets to one. And then in the final, I don't really have any doubts. I think it will and would be if I get the right pairs. Koyo and Tapia winning it against Tupandineno, two sets to love. So, yeah, I think those are my shouts. And to be honest, I've seen that Koyo and Tapia will be playing against the newly formed pair in Coquinieto and Cardona. And I think it could be an interesting match. I don't think they're going to struggle, but a great match to watch nonetheless. For sure. And another great match to watch in, in the first rounds, I think, will be Ale Galan and, and John Sant against uh, Edu Alonso and, uh, and Juan Luis Brie. That will be very... Agreed. It's a very good test for, for a newly formed pair. But interesting that both of us went with uh, Galan and Sant uh, in the semifinals. I was, I was very, very skeptical about it to be honest until very last minute i was like okay uh, i think uh, i'm gonna go with them but yeah it will be interesting to to see the matchup for sure agreed agreed and well i think it may sadly be time to say goodbye indeed it, it will be but thank you everyone for for listening and, and continuing to support us I'm Gons, and uh, I'm going to sign out. And thank you for, for being here with me, Hugo. It's always a pleasure doing it with you. Not at all. Cheers, Gons. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. Bye-bye.